Hey, today I am sitting down with one of my better friends, Anthony Braswell, and uh, we go back a long way. It's hard to believe that we actually have known each other for 27 years. Can you wow. believe that? <laughs> how, how, how do I get to be your best friend? I, you just described me as a better friend. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's going to listen to the podcast and go, wait a minute. I thought I was his best friend. <laughs> so you are you are definitely one of my, uh, my top friends. How about that? Um, when I met Anthony, he was single just graduated college and was just beginning to enter into youth ministry. And uh, we we both knew everything there was to know about ministry and we were ready to change change the world. So uh, uh, that's how long it's been, almost three decades. So It's been a long time. Yeah, it really has. We actually had the uh, honor of serving on staff together at Tanglewood Church in Kinston, North Carolina. That's been a long time ago, but we served together for about three years. And that was, that was fun. And I left and went to Wilmington and then Anthony stayed there for a while and then he left and, you know, made some moves, which we'll get into in a, maybe a few minutes and then ended up in Raleigh where he's uh, planted a church, North Park, and uh, really excited about what he's doing there. Um, not only Anthony, have we known Anthony, but Lan and I have known his wonderful family uh, for all this time, watched him grow up, his, his two beautiful kids, and also uh, his wonderful wife, Mary Ann, which we'll get to her journey in just a little bit. Now, Anthony, before I get into some questions with you, I want everybody to know that, that and I mean this, this is, this is no, um, you know, faux uh, praise. You, you, you're one of the best um, pastors and leaders I know. Thank you. And yeah, and you, if you don't know Anthony, hopefully after this podcast, you'll get to know him. He's one of the most creative and um, passionate, authentic, real, and he, he can do about anything. You can preach, you can build websites, you can um, build a student ministry, you can train, you, you can hold the attention of an audience. Um, you just do a lot of things. I don't know if there's anything you really can't do. So it's it's been an honor to watch you and and uh, to be your friend for all these years. Man, you're so kind. Thank you for saying those things, man. I love you. You're such a great great leader <laughs> oh, and great friend. No, no, no. You, I'm you're, very thankful. Hey, this is something, too. He also has a library of dad jokes. Yes. <laughs> do, do you have a dad joke for us today? Uh, what did one cashew say while chasing another cashew? I have no idea. Oh, wait. Oh, hold on. Back up. Are we editing this or is this unfortunate? <laughs> we are going to edit this. Yes. Okay. So, so tell me that dad joke again because you yeah. broke up. Okay. What did one nut say while chasing the other nut? I have no idea. I'm a cashew. <laughs> I'm a cashew. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite. I, th I think you should stay to, stay with preaching. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 not it's not the jokes that are great. It's the response of my kids when I right. when I involve my kids. It's the eye rolls and the oh, oh my yeah. gosh, dad. That, that's what makes them funny. It's not yeah. my jokes. Jokes standalone I, aren't very funny. I have watched you uh, tell a lot of dad jokes uh, throughout the years. So where yeah. where do you find them? You just look them up or I make them up. up or what? I don't make them up. People send them to me. I find them, you know, different places. I actually keep a running list of them for my yeah. uh, for 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 when I mess with the kids. But honestly, the jokes aren't funny. Um, and when people tell me dad jokes all the time internally, I'm just I hate it. Like people because they know I use them a lot. They're like, oh, let me tell you. Right. Have you heard this joke? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard them all. You know, it's just not very yeah. funny. And and so the jokes, it's not that's not what's funny. It's when I do it on social media and I'm I call out my kids' names and they're oh gosh, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> so it's the response of my family that that makes it work. Right. And one other interesting thing about Anthony is he is learning to become a Tar Heel fan. 
I am. It's so crazy. I, I, what's funny is most people don't know this, but they just assume that I've always been a Wolfpack fan. We didn't become NC State fans until we moved to Raleigh and started planting a church. And the mm. first you know, 50 people in the door were college students, and they would invite me to go to their football games and sit in the student section. And I mean, I went to ECU. I'm not even an ECU fan. I went to UNCW. I, I pull for the Wolfpack, but it's because we planted in Raleigh. And so you know, you know, when, when in, when in Rome, right. Do as Romans do. So, <laughs> right. um, but what people don't realize is way back as a kid, I was a Carolina fan. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I've got baby pictures of Micah in a Tar Heel hat, which is funny. And so, <laughs> so now he is a freshman at UNC. And so I'm starting to wear UNC gear because it's hard to write checks somewhere and not pull for them. You know what right. I mean? And right. so, um, and, and it's funny, I, I, I keep telling people, they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, honestly, I look better in Carolina blue than I do red. It brings out my eyes. And so that's what I keep telling people. You broke up again. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't I, hear that last part. I said, I, I just, um, people ask me how I can wear Carolina blue. And I always tell them it just brings out my eyes. I look better in blue than I do red. So that's why there I you do go. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, hey, I want to I want to jump into um, you know not only were you a successful student pastor uh, in local churches, but also at the state level. I know you went to Arkansas for a while and led at the state level in student ministry, right? Yeah, I was a state youth and Christian education director in Arkansas for two years. Yeah, um, and something began happening in your heart while you were there, and. It, it caused you to say, you know what, I'm ready to, to move out of the state level and administration and all that and actually get into planting a local church back home, yeah. back in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tell, tell us a little bit about that journey. That's very interesting to me. Well, what happened was I, I was, I'd never pastored before. And I had all of these pastors that were coming to me for advice about different ministries and what would you do with this thing or what would you do with that? So I started building what was called a virtual church. Hmm. Um, you know, this was before Pinterest and all the cool apps and tools that we have today. I just had a PowerPoint presentation and I would I, I would book myself to speak three Sundays a month. But I was very intentional to take one Sunday a month and go outside of our Church of God world. Right. And go find churches that were doing it different than we were doing it hmm. and and doing just research. And I would find, oh, that's awesome or that's awesome. That's awesome. And so I would bring these things back and I would put them in. Uh, this this PowerPoint presentation, this virtual church. And that way, when people would come to me and if they had questions about children's ministry or missions or worship, I would show them these things that I had discovered. But what I didn't realize was I was building a business plan and, mm. and a launch strategy. And I didn't even realize that. And being in state work is something I'd always wanted to do. And having the opportunity to do that, um, I was sitting with Rod Loy, who's the pastor of an Assemblies of God church, uh, North Little Rock First Assembly, and and I was I was interviewing him because I had gone to see what they were doing and they were killing it, and still are killing it today. And I was just learning from him, and he was telling me a story. And finally, he turned the tables and he asked me about my journey. And what I said was, I told him all about my journey as a youth pastor, and then then I used the the statement, "I guess I'm living my dream." And mm-hmm. he said, "Well, if you're living your dream, why are you so miserable?" And I just looked at him. I was like, what do you mean? I'd say I was miserable. He said, well, I can tell you're miserable. I, when you talked about local church ministry, you had a fire in your eye. And mm-hmm. now talking about what you're doing, he said that left. He said, so so, if you could do anything for the next two years and not worry about how you're going to get paid to do it, what would you do? 
And for the first time in my life, I confessed I'd plant a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I knew it. I just never said it. And and had that been something that was brewing inside of you? It was. As far as going to Raleigh? It was. I knew where, I knew what, but I did not have the courage to say it. And so... um, now let me ask you this: Was this this happened while you were in Arkansas? Yeah, this or was, did you act? What I'm saying is, did you actually have this dream kind of before you went to Arkansas? No, never thought okay. of it. So never it started it. while you were there. It started while I was there. Yeah, yeah. And I think God took me to Arkansas to prepare me mm. for planting uh, yeah. North Park. Uh, because honestly, Scott, like my only experience had been Eastern North Carolina Church of God. And as, mm-hmm. and as you know, Tanglewood was very different from that typical model, but still Eastern North Carolina Church of God sure. was all that I knew. And I mean, your family's from here. Yeah. You, you met Marianne here. here. Everything's yeah. from here. So I think God had to take me outside of what was comfortable and really open my horizons to, wow, there's a lot of other ways to do this. And I yeah. think if I'd have planted a church coming right out of my experience at Tanglewood, I think it would have looked like Tanglewood. I think I'd have just mm-hmm. duplicated what I knew. And so the Lord had to take me out of that environment for a couple of years and, and really open my eyes to what, what was out there. And so when I said I'd plant a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Pastor Rod said, well, it's not a calling issue. You know what you're called to do. It's a trust issue. You just don't trust God. Hmm. And so I came back home that day and I told Marianne we were moving to Raleigh to plant a church. And wow. her response was, no, we're not. <laughs> so it took her a little bit to grab hold of it and for the Lord to kind of work with her. But um, that's what we did. We moved in 2006. We launched in 2007. Wow. Well, I'm sure that when you arrived, it was not just easy sailing all the way through. So tell us a little bit about kind of when you got when you got there, what were some of the obstacles that you immediately ran into? Well, what, it was, what was kind of the, the journey at first. Well, that was 15 years ago. So some yeah. of it I think I've buried, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're coming up on 15 year celebration in January. Um, right. But it was it was difficult. I mean, we moved into a city that we did not know. Uh, we knew very few people. Um, you know, we, we scrounged together about 12 people and we called them our leadership team. A lot of those were people that I had pastored in Kinston who had relocated here and not been plugged in anywhere. And so, uh, we just put this little band of people together and, 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 and started doing what we called underground church, which was just us under the radar, just trying to figure this out, uh, challenging each other, asking a lot of questions. Um, trying to figure out what what needs existed in our city and what we could do as a little group of people to to try to meet some of those needs. What and, what would you say your 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 main focus was when you went there? Did you have one overall goal? You wanted to reach a certain kind of person, or yeah. you wanted to offer something in the area that 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 wasn't being offered at the time? Or yeah, that's kind of what that's was a, your that's a heart great question. You know, we kept saying we, yeah. Yeah, we kept saying we didn't want to compete with anybody. We wanted to complete what was already happening here and and just come in and 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 we as we would say it, we wanted to reach a group of people that no one else was reaching. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think I knew what that was. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like I, I I don't even think I had the maturity and the insight, the wisdom at that time to even see what that was. But what we ended up doing was reaching a lot of rechurched people, people mm-hmm. who had some church experience and uh, that had just been really hurt. And so they were looking something that looked different than what they had experienced. And so yeah, that's, that's they, an they interesting term, rechurched. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard that term before. 
well, you know, we talk about the unchurched. Uh, right. I, I think we were reaching very few unchurched people, people who had never been a part of a church experience. Now, is that because of Raleigh? Because of kind of the Bible Belt? Bible or? Belt, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many people who just have never been to church. They're just unchurched. Right. You know, like they're right. an unreached people group, as we might say. Uh, most people have some experience. They just had a bad experience. Mm-hmm. And so we we help people discover um, that church could be healthy and um, that that you could, you know, and, and I learned a lot of this from you, Scott. I mean, you guys have done such a good job of of, of creating environments to reach un, you know, un, imperfect people, as I've heard you yep. say all the time. Right. right. And, and so, you know, I tell people all the time, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have it all together. Yeah. Um, I have questions. I have doubts. I have fears. I get angry. I, you know, uh, there are days that I struggle to pray. There are days that I don't want to read my Bible. There are days that I battle temptation. Um, every day I battle temptation, just like anybody else. And, and I would even say I'm only pastor because it was my idea and I showed up first <laughs> and we were handing out titles and I was the first one here. Uh, right. Doesn't mean I'm the most qualified person in the room. And and so we've just created this culture where it's okay to, to be vulnerable and and ask hard questions and not be afraid to be real. And, and we've tried to do that for 15 years. And, well, uh, let me ask you this. When you when you got there, what was what was an obstacle or a, a a challenge you thought that you would experience, but really wasn't as challenging? It wasn't as big of an obstacle, but then you you ran into something else that you kind of weren't anticipating. Yeah, I thought that when we got here, people were just going to flood here. You know what I mean? Okay. Like we were going to open the doors, we were going to launch, and it was going to be so refreshing, and it was going to be the answer to the questions that everybody was asking, and they were just going to run to it and flock mm. to it. And I thought we would grow very quickly, very fast. You know, like I, I just felt like it was just going to explode. Yeah. And then it didn't, and that was very disorienting. And what I found was we were reaching, I mean, where we launched, we, we launched in North Raleigh. It's a very fluent area. You know, we're not in the inner city Raleigh. We're not in, 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 in that part of town when we launched. Um, and what I found was so many people who had everything that they needed, they weren't asking the questions that I thought we were, that they were asking. Mm-hmm. And they weren't seeking what I thought they were seeking. They, you know, they're living, you know, I, we launched and around the corner, you got, you know, $750,000 homes and million dollar homes. And, and, and yes, they need Jesus just as much as anybody else, but they didn't feel like they did because they have mm-hmm. everything they need. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and so I, I, I began to discover that, that reaching that population that we had landed in was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, people didn't have time for, for the Lord because their lives were so filled with, um, going to this place and doing this thing and having this experience and our kids are involved in everything. There's That's the other thing. When we were in Kinston, we didn't have a whole lot of competition. Right. And I don't mean churches. I'm not talking about other churches. I mean, there was a little baseball here and there and people had some school stuff and they might go on a vacation here or there, but church was their life. You know what I mean? That's yeah. where they found their relationships. That's where they found their entertainment. That's where and we would do so much together. And in Raleigh, in, in, a, in a larger city like this, there are so many different experiences. It's like, man, we are competing with athletic events and concerts. And all, there's just so much coming at people um, that I found that they had very little time for Jesus or for the church yeah. in their life. That was very disorienting. So let me, let me ask you this. What question were they asking? 
I think the more that I begin to work with people, the more they, they begin to realize that all of these things, I'm not sure it's a question, but all of these things that they were filling their life with that they thought would bring them fulfillment didn't yeah. bring them fulfillment. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it's like, well, I have this money. I have this job. I have this this security. I have these opportunities. Our family, our kids go to a great school. We have all these things. Why am I not more fulfilled? Why am I yeah. still so empty? And, and so I guess the question is, how do I find fulfillment? How do I find purpose? Right. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what we've really strived to do. Well, it's been, it's been 15 years. Do you, you know, do you see some of those questions changing? Are they still same, same questions people in that area are asking today as they were then? Or what, what have you noticed to change? I, I do think it's the same question. The, the, other, the other thing is, and, and this is a phenomenon that I've talked to pastors a lot. The age of our church, as my age has increased, has increased. Mm -hmm. And so where in the beginning we were working with college students and young professionals, double income, no kids. I mean, they're asking very different questions mm -hmm. than, the, the, than the vast majority of the people that I work with today. Um, you know, today I, I've got lots of grandparents and I've got, I've got people who are caring for aging parents and also trying to, you know, their kids are becoming college students and those types of things. And so, so I think we're all asking different questions at, at these yeah. stages of our life. And, uh, you know, I even look do, at our do you team, think, it's getting older. It's, it's, it's kind of strange to do, watch that. Happen. Do you think that is why your church has, has moved up as far as the average age is because of you and the staff have become older? Or do you think there is a, a, a shifting in the, in the church at large? More and more of the younger couples are staying home more and more. They're not connecting with the local churches. Or, or do you think it has to do with our pastors are getting older across the nation? That's a, that's a great question, Scott. And I don't think I've really considered that very much, but I think you're right. I mean, I think the, the younger, you know, population, um, maybe not plugging in as much as the older population. Um, and at the same time, you know, I heard years ago that you will reach people 10 years or older, 10 years or younger. Yep. And so I think both of those things are happening at the same time. But especially coming out of this pandemic, you know, we're looking at about a 50% return rate right now as a church. Yep. And, um, and most of those are older. Yeah. Um, or they don't have young kids. Our, yeah. our, our part of the congregation that have young kids just hasn't returned as yeah. quickly. Um, now, this past Sunday, we had kind of a, a Sunday fun day. It was it was a big day. Um, we did a back to school blessing. Um, all of our kids environments are open again because we were so slow to open up some of those environments because we meet in the school and we had some limitations and those things. And, and it's crazy. Like we had a hundred more people this week than we did the previous week. And yeah. most of those were young families. I was blown away yeah. when we did the back to school blessing at how many kids there were. Yeah. Um, so even our kids environments were kind of overwhelmed. You could tell our volunteers were like, where are these kids come from? And, yeah. and so I, I think, I think they're slow to come back out of this pandemic. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm struggling with here at, at Forest Park, just trying to answer the question and what does it look like kind of you know, post pandemic and kind of in the middle of what, you know, our whole nation at large is going through in the church. I look at some of the couples that, that we reached when I first came here, which I've been here about 20 years this November. And many of those, the couples that came obviously were 20 years younger than they are today. And many of them were coming out of traditional churches. They were coming out of 
Catholic churches. They were coming out of uh, very strict uh, holiness churches. Uh, they had been uh, somewhat beat up, I guess you could say, religiously. Uh, they felt condemned. Uh, they were looking for something fresh, something that preached love and grace and, you know, and, and provided some music that was a little bit more exciting and a little bit more casual atmosphere, etc. And I've watched those couples, you know, become obviously 20 years older and they have children. And those children, however, grew up at Forest Park. So the only experience their kids have is what they've experienced here. And I'm noticing some of those kids aren't connecting at churches. And what I think is interesting, this is something I'm, I'm working through with our staff, is that in some ways to those children, we've become the traditional church. Yeah. I, because I that's the that. only thing they've experienced is, is us. And there's not a lot of the kind of people their parents were when we reached them really in our community as much as there used to be when I first came. So, so what, what does that look like and how do we reach the new generation. You know? Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I, 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 I made that statement the other day and the person that I said it to just kind of looked at me with wheels spinning. I, I said, I feel like what we would describe as contemporary or relevant in church yeah. has become the new traditional. Yeah, it is without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my kids, you know, my three my kids, Evan, Ashland and Cameron, they've grown up here at Forest Park, uh, you know, to them, they've always had jeans on at church. They've yeah. always had coffee in the lobby. They've always yeah. had modern music. They've yeah. always had, you know, multiple services. Um, all of those things have been their entire experience with church. Uh, when we talk about, you know, being uh, kind of beat down or condemned or, or guilt ridden through messages, they've never experienced that. Right. They don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have a different generation out there. I'm just wondering kind of how some other pastors are, are dealing with that and well, I think into it. the biggest thing for us is just, I think, especially this younger generation, what I keep hearing is we're looking something that's authentic and we're looking something yeah. that's real. Yeah. And so we just want to make sure that we continue to just be real and, and create vulnerable experiences. And especially with the journey that I've been through, I, I don't know that I could have been more vulnerable than I have through this experience. Like I've yeah. walked out an entire year's worth of grief process publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's given permission for people to be honest about their own struggle. And, and the one thing that I've often said about this season of our lives is everybody's going through something yeah. and the words stress and inadequacy and overwhelmed, not prepared, never enough. Like those are words that I write down and I keep hearing people say, yeah, me too. You know, we're yeah. just, we're just worn out. I was talking to a principal of a school and and he he said that normally this time of year, his teachers are pumped in there on fire. They're ready to go for a yeah. big school year. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with my teachers. Like, I can't get them juiced up. And I'm like, dude, look what they've been through in two years. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're just coming out of summer, but holy cow, they're exhausted. You know, yeah. the the yeah. division that's in our world, the 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 climate that we see politically, the pandemic, everything. Like yeah. teaching behind masks, like living behind, like the isolation. It's just everybody's exhausted. Yeah. Um, someone just a few days ago asked me, they said, do you think we'll get another shutdown because of this latest rise? And and in the back of my mind, Scott, I hate to say this, but literally I thought, I hope so. <laughs> just like two more weeks would be fantastic for us all to just take a break. But um, it, it's 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 crazy. And 
and, and the things that we so long for that people are getting back into the routine. We've missed these things, right? And now we're kind of jumping back into these things, but we're jumping back into them a hundred miles an hour, but we're exhausted as we jump back yeah. into them. Yeah. And so we're, we're just not, we don't have the stamina we used to. And so, yeah. um, here we are and, and like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm like on my fourth cup of coffee already today. I'm tired and it's right. like 1030. So it's yeah. like, we, we're not doing very well with that. And I think yeah. that's across the board. Yeah. Well, we're all in a, a season of learning and asking some new questions and, and, and being stretched and, and relearning some things and unlearning some things. And it's, it's certainly an interesting journey. I do want to uh, go back uh, a few years ago because I know that one of the things that you certainly never anticipated in ministry was the journey you've had to walk through with, with your lovely wife, Marianne. And I want you to kind of let some people know who are listening and they don't know anything about the experience that you guys have, have walked through and the pain that you've gone through. So take us back a little bit to when all this began and just kind of slowly walk us Walk us through this. Yeah. Um, 2012, uh, my amazing wife, Marianne, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And during that next year, um, we just fought like crazy. I mean, she had a double mastectomy, the reconstruction, chemo, radiation, total hysterectomy, all of that stuff. And uh, that was October 2012. And then October 2013, uh, we were given the all clear. You know, yeah. the doctor looked at her and said, you know, you're cured. And, and she, she said, no, I'm healed. And, and, and so for five years, we celebrated. Yeah. Um, she was released from doctors, so she wasn't having to go back for checkups or anything like that. We're just living our best life and, and, and planning for an incredible future together. And, and all was good. She started a new career and was so successful at it. And uh, we're just having a blast doing, doing what we always dreamed that we would do together. And she started having headaches and they were really, really bad headaches and went to a few doctor's appointments. Nobody could seem to figure it out. Maybe she had vertigo. Maybe she was having migraines, all these things. Well, finally, they did a, uh, a scan on her on her brain, an MRI, I suppose. And and they basically said, you've you've got a mass on your brain. It was a brain tumor. And so within. 24 hours she had a brain surgery which was ridiculous it was just still just mind-blowing how all of that happened so fast but then you know that scared them because they were like we think this is probably cancer and and it and and so we need to check everything so they started scanning everything and they just started finding it all over her body it was a big mass in her lung and we were just blown away like we had no idea that this was happening in her body and um and so life just was like so shocking and so for the next um, year and a half, um, we, we, again, right back into the fight, um, surgeries and um, radiations and chemos and, and all of those things. Uh, unfortunately, um, nothing seemed to work. Like it just, it just continued to grow. It was very aggressive. And uh, she's, she's the most incredible woman I've ever met in my life and such a strong fighter. Um, and, and she went home to be with Jesus December of this past year. Uh, of 2020. And so um, our whole world got turned upside down, man. Um, you know, we, we hear you know, people say words have become very important to me. And, and, and you know, people, we, we struggle to say things like I, I won't even say anything other than she went home to be with Jesus. You know, right. I, I struggle to say my wife passed away or my wife died. Like I, I, those words are so shocking to me. So it's just easier for me to say she went home to be with Jesus. 
Um, but, you know, people will say, you know, I even said it one day recently, and I caught myself when I said it, but I said, you know, she lost a, her battle to cancer. Um, but then I stopped myself and I realized um, that she didn't lose her battle to cancer. Uh, she won her ultimate healing and she's rejoicing around the throne of God today. And so, you know, I think for us as a family, keeping that as the the, the focal point of, of, of this has, has helped us a ton. Uh, Marianne always said, I can't lose. You know, if, if God chooses to heal me here, I win. Um, if, if he chooses to take me home, I win. Uh, so no matter how this turns out, I, I can't lose. Um, so, 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 you know, that, that's kind of been our, our mantra. And at the same time, um, we lost the most important person in our lives. And so yeah. we're having to deal with that reality. I know when my, my daughter went to Lee University in Tennessee, the university president told us uh, at that opening parent weekend, your babies will, um, your babies will call home and they will be homesick um, and they will be having the time of their life uh, and exactly where they're supposed to be because two realities exist at the same time. And that one little principle, two realities exist at the same time, has been so life-giving to me and I apply it to everything, everything. I think no matter what you're going through, two realities exist at the same time. Think about this pandemic. I mean, it's been, it's, it's been devastating on people's lives and their families and their health and, um, and, and, and to our businesses. And there's just been so much impact of, of this pandemic. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's a lot of good things that came from it. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard, I heard one man describe that, that his marriage blossomed and flourished during this time that he fell in love with his wife again, you know, things like that. Like people under, stopped and, and realized that, that the things they were chasing aren't as important as they thought they were. And, and, and so like, there's again, two realities exist at the same time. And so while I know my wife is rejoicing around the throne of God, um, we're trying to figure out what life looks like without her in a physical sense, you know, being with us. And, and, uh, and my kids are at very critical journeys in their life. My son's 18 and going off as, as a freshman. My daughter's 21 and she's trying to figure out what being a woman looks like. And, and, and so while mom poured much life wisdom and, and experience into us that we can pull from that knowledge and that experience, um, it's not the same. And, yeah. and so, you know, those two realities exist. And, um, so yeah, so that's been our, our journey and that's, that's where we are. It's been, it's been about well, you, you and Marianne have done an incredible job raising two amazing adults, Thank Micah you. and Blair, and they are just amazing, intelligent, polite, kind, insightful, beautiful, uh, young adults. So I know that every day you look at them, you are proud. And, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're excited for, for their future, but I know this has been a, a very difficult journey for, for each of them and especially at this critical time in their lives. But because of what Marianne poured in them, uh, they're ready yeah. and they have an incredible dad too, who is, who is there every step of the way. Thank so you. there's so much there that, that could be explored and, you know, and, and I know that you're walking through this and it's, some of it is still very fresh and you're still learning and, and still processing it all yourself. Um, I know Marianne was very influential at North Park and probably more so for you uh, than anybody else. She was your biggest cheerleader and a constant positive uh, person in your life. 
And I'd like to know just maybe one or two kind of how you've, how, what was it like to try to continue to pastor and, and try to lead in the middle of this pain? You mentioned a few minutes ago about having to become so vulnerable and, and literally walk through grief publicly. Um, just talk to us a little bit. It's very possible someone's listening right now who's who's in something similar to this, or they're just looking for any encouragement they could get of how do you walk through ministry or, and lead people with some kind of vision and some sense of positive future when you're hurting so much on the inside and sometimes you just want to quit. Yeah. So, so talk to that person just a moment or two, please. And I have wanted to quit. I've, I've wanted to quit a lot. You know, I, I know I even told my mother-in-law and my father-in-law before, cause I, I knew that if, if God didn't do something, if, if he didn't, if he didn't do something, we were in trouble. Like I knew yeah. that. And I even told them one day, I said, if, if the Lord doesn't choose to heal her, if he takes her, I'm done. I'll never preach again. Um, I'll go do something else. Like, and I meant it. Like I was, I was, I was that determined that Lord, if you don't answer this prayer, um, I'm done. If you can't do this for us, then, then I'm done. And, and I meant it. And so the Lord had to really do some healing in my heart and in, and in my mind, uh, because I was so frustrated and I was just so angry. But months before, I remember speaking to a friend of mine, um, Jim Wall, who had lost a son and, and just gone through a lot as a pastor. And I asked Jim, I said, Jim, what do you do when you're having a crisis of faith? And you have to remember, this is before this happened, right? So this is, we're in the middle of the sickness, we're in the middle of the battle, but the wheels hadn't quite fallen off yet. And so I asked him, like, what do you do when you have a crisis of faith? And I'll never forget what he said. He gave me three things. He said, Anthony, you you believe that he can, you pray that he will, and then you trust him whether he chooses to or not. And so, Scott, I preach that all the time. Like, that was so good to me. In the middle of our fight, we're going to believe that he can, we're going to pray that he will, and then we're going to trust him whether he chooses to or not. Like, I would preach that, say that to me. Anytime somebody came to me with a problem or needed counsel, that's where I would go to. We pray that he can, we believe that he will, trust him whether he chooses to or not. And then here I am, you know, after December 7th, having to really decide, am I going to walk out everything that I've preached? Am I going to live out everything that I really believe in my heart, which is I've got to trust him whether he chooses to or not. And so I remember getting up and preaching those first few weeks that I did preach. I I took time off, of course. But those first few sermons, I mean, I said that a lot. Like, guys, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm, I don't have this together. I can't tell you, you know, that this is all good. Like, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm angry, and sometimes I don't want to read my Bible, and I'm struggling to pray. Like, I would just tell them. Yeah. But here's what I'm doing. I prayed that he would. I believe that he could. And, and this is me trusting him, whether he chooses to or not. Right. I trust him because I know that in the middle of of what I'm going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter what I see, God is still good and he is still God. And while I don't understand he chose to work in the way that he did, I still trust him and I still know that he's good and 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 that I know that he's God. And and I was very honest with the Lord, Scott, like very honest with the Lord. And I still do this a lot of days, even almost 10 months after um, and, but I, I had this thing that I would say in my mind all, out loud. And, and I, I would, cause again, two realities exist at the same time. 
and and I and I knew it was okay to be honest with God because he wired me this way and he knew how I would respond. And so I felt permission to just be honest, vulnerable, and rugged with the Lord as I possibly could. Uh, I truly came to him as a, a, a child would come to a father. And I bled a lot on him. And, and here's the thing that I would say all the time. You gave me the greatest gift that you could ever give me and my wife. You gave her to me. That was your gift to me. And we were together for 23 years in marriage and, and two dating. So 25 years I had the greatest person that you could have possibly best me. You gave her to me and then you chose to take her from me. That was your choice. I'm not saying the Lord gave her cancer. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying he had the power to heal her and he chose not to. So in, in, in my mind, I would say out loud, you gave me the greatest gift that you've ever given to me and, and, you, and you took her from me. You did that. And, and, and then the third thing that I would say is you have decimated me. Your decision to not heal her in a physical sense. I know, I know he healed her in eternity. I get that. But I don't have her today. She's not laying beside me in bed. She's not riding down the road in her spot. Sometimes I still, I did it last night, reached over and touched the seat beside her because that's where her knee would be. You know what I'm saying? Like still physically, I just do that. Um, you gave me the greatest gift you could give me. You, you took her and you've decimated me and I love you. I trust you and I surrender to you. Like I would say that over and over and over. I remember one day in my backyard, like saying it, I know the neighbors heard me say it. No way they couldn't have heard me say that. And I would just say, you gave me the greatest gift. You took her, you decimated me. I love you. I trust you and I surrender to you. And I would just say it over and over and over. And I believed it with all of my heart. And to this day that I, I believe that. And, and so I don't shy away from the hard conversation of what I'm struggling with. But I do rest in the assurance at the end of the day that he is good and that he loves me. He loves my kids. He knows what's best. And, and, that, he, and that he's good. He's good. He's God. And I love him. I trust him. And I surrender to him. And, and slowly over time, like the Lord is just rebuilding that relationship that, and I don't say my relationship ever suffered. It was just, I was angry. I was angry at him and I still trusted him. I was just angry at him. And I took everything spiritual in my life for, for several, several weeks. And I just put it in a closet and I would even say, I'll pray again. I'm just not praying right now. I'll read my Bible again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reading my Bible right now. And I had a friend who was, I was telling him that story. I said, I would literally walk outside and I would just tell God how I wasn't going to talk to him. And I would just be, I would just, I'm so angry. I'm not talking to you today. Like, I don't, I'm not going to pray. I'm not praying. And, and he's like, Anthony, what is prayer? Please describe to me what prayer is. Give me your prayer definition. And I was like, what's well, communication with God? And he said, so in an effort of telling God you weren't going to communicate with him, you probably prayed some of the most honest prayers you've ever prayed in those moments, right. you know? Yep. And so I recognize, even when I say I didn't have a prayer life, I probably had the most raw, honest prayer life I've ever had in that season. Um, but I cried out to him. And the Bible says that we will utter groanings that no one will understand. And there were a lot of days that I uttered those groanings. And so uh, the Lord was patient to me. The Lord was kind to me. And slowly... Uh, and surely um, those things have, have come back in my life. And I remember one day opening my Bible, I thought, all right, I'm going to read my Bible. And I opened up to the Old Testament. I start reading about the Israelites. 
And I, I remember slamming my Bible shut going, y'all are the stupidest people I've ever seen in my life. I could care less about the Israelites today. You know, like I, the last thing I want to do is read about one more time your stubbornness. Okay. Yeah. Like just, I don't need this. And like, I literally just pushed it aside. And, and during those times, I, I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my Bible. I say I couldn't pray. I was praying really honest prayers. I just, it didn't look like I thought it should. Um, and, and the only thing I could do, and I think they were the two, two, I'll say the three things that saved my life was, was worship because I would just put worship music on loop and I would just listen. And, and that was so healing to me. Laughter was healing to me. The most spiritual thing that I found during the pandemic and, and, and during grief was Nate Bargetsy, who was my favorite <laughs> yeah. comedian. And yeah. I got to meet him this past week and tell oh, him that great. story. It was so cool. But I learned to laugh and, and I learned that laughter really is medicine. And, 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 and that became the most spiritual thing that I could have ever done. And then, and then the biggest thing was just the community around us, the people that yeah. we have around us. Um, they propped me up. They've propped me up. They really have. And, and, and they've been strength for me when I didn't have it. And, and so I can't imagine walking through this season without those people in my life. And so I just, you got to lean into them. Yeah. Well, Anthony, it hit, uh, you know, I've um, obviously watched from a distance and um, I'm proud of you. You haven't you, watched you from you a have, distance, Scott. You've been right there in the middle of it. Well, I, I'll never I, forget. And, and people won't know this unless I say it, but I sat in my car and I'll try not to get emotional talking about this, but I sat in my car in the parking deck at Duke Hospital about to walk in because my wife had COVID those last few days. We weren't allowed to be with her until the last, last few hours. We were there for the last 40 hours of her life. And I sat outside that place and, um, and I called you and you prayed with me right before I went in. Um, and, and I'll never forget that you were right there with me. So you didn't watch from a distance. I'm, I'm sorry to correct you, but you were right there in the middle of it with me. And I'm very grateful for those prayers and the advice that you gave me in those moments. Uh, it, it, it was an honor. Absolutely is. And it continues to be, but I'm, I'm proud of you and, uh, you have done an, an incredible job. And, uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I think is beautiful in this is that you have, you have taught. Uh, the people who call you pastor, what it means to grieve, and you've given them permission to face their own pain and to to weep. And what I have learned, you know, the little that I've learned in in thirty years of of ministry is sometimes people need permission to feel what they feel, yeah. and that the psalms are filled with grief and they're filled with pain and they're filled with loss. And scripture is filled with confusion about God and why He does what He does and 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 so many very godly men and women in scripture just cried out and said, I don't I don't understand what you're doing. And, yeah. you know, I could have done it better. And why have you left me and why have you walked away? And unfortunately, a lot of the people who sit and listen to our sermons and 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 try to follow what they believe is is the journey toward, you know, spiritual health or growth, think that they've always got to be filled with faith and joy and, and, you know, come into the church with their hands lifted and clapping. And you have discipled them, Anthony, in a way that few people will have been discipled. And they have learned that it's okay to weep and cry and question and, and ask the difficult questions of life. Because the truth is all those questions are there. Yeah. They're all sitting in their hearts. Yeah. And and God has taken this extremely difficult, very ugly, very painful journey that is still 
you know, filled with confusion and still filled with a lot of questions that those will probably never be answered until we, you know, we move from this temporal life and into the eternal one, yeah. uh, or the, the, the more, you know, what our eyes can't see now. Mm. Um, but they've needed permission to, to, to grieve and, and weep and ask questions. And you've done that. And you have been an incredible example, uh, to your people. And you. I think that's been, that's been an amazing journey. Thank you. And, so much, uh, Scott. you, you are loved and Marianne is loved every day. I know Lana and I both just, uh, hold you guys so close to our hearts and, 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 and hundreds and if not thousands of other people do the exact same thing. Well, Anthony, I know you only have a few more minutes, so I, I do want to move from that and kind of look toward tomorrow because I know you well enough to know that you have things you're dreaming and, and desires in your heart and you're still young and, and vibrant and creative and passionate. And, uh, you've got some things that you want to see happen. And I just want you to, obviously just in a few minutes, you can't even begin to scratch the surface of that, but tell us a little bit about the future and maybe some things that you've learned from these last couple or so years and what you're looking to take into tomorrow and maybe open up some new doors or whatever. Sure. Well, I, I think if you add the pandemic and you add everything that we've gone through with grief and, and the fact that, that we're hitting this 15 year mark, it's caused me to be very self-reflective about this last, you know, several years and, and what the future looks like. And I just, I just realized um, that I want the next 15 years to look different than the first 15 years. Mm. Um, I, I wish that I would have had some self-discovery years ago, but I'm thankful for the self-discovery I've experienced in the last few months. And what I found is the areas that I lead are not my areas of strength. Hmm. And I think um, I've tried to convince myself that I'm strong in these areas, but the reality is I'm not. And after much self-discovery, I realized the reason maybe our church hasn't grown as much as I wanted it to, um, as John Maxwell says, I have been the lid. And it's because I'm trying to lead in areas of my weakness. And so I've worked really hard to discover and be honest about what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are and met with my team, met with spiritual leaders, met with wise counsel, met with coaches, met with my elders. And we have decided um, to hire my weaknesses. And so we are bringing in multiple staff members, and one of which is to replace what I do day in, day out. And, and, and we're creating a new job description for me as a leader in our church so that I can focus on the strings, things that I'm strong in and, and let somebody else do what I do every day and, and do it because that's their strength and their passion. Yeah. And so we're building a team of people who can lead to their strengths. Yeah. And that's something we've never done before. Yeah. And, and, and it's taking a sacrifice to do it. It's taking me um, having the, the courage to step aside and take my hands off some things um, that, um, that are very important to me that I want to see, um, done really well. Um, but I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get out of the driver's seat, uh, on some things and that's hard for me. And so, um, I, I'm going to spend the next, um, few years of my life, um, 
building people who build organizations and not focus so much on trying to build organizations. I'm not great at those things. And I like to think that I am, but I'm, I'm better at encouraging and inspiring people and, um, and, 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 and leadership development and, and pouring into people who are leading organizations. And so uh, I am, I am right now, um, dreaming and planning and figuring out what that looks like for me um, to do that in four pulpits. I believe that we all have four pulpits, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was home. Judea was that next you know, community. Samaria was the next outlying area then to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to do is encourage and lead leaders in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to continue to do that at home, which is North Park. I'm going to do that in Judea, which is my city, I'm, you know, to the business leaders in the area in which I live. Samaria, I want to do that for other denominational leaders and pastors and other communities and other areas. Um, and then to the ends of the earth to do that with, with, with leaders who are, you know, in El Salvador and Ecuador and other right. places. Um, but I am going to focus in on that one thing. How do I encourage and, 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 and build up leaders uh, who are leading organizations? And I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, I'm spending a lot of time talking to people and trying to figure out what that looks like and what a plan of action would be. But I've taken some huge steps to get that going. Uh, But again, that's me trying to lead to my strengths and leaning into the things that give me life and uh, allowing someone else to do those things that I don't really do well in any way, but they just kind of drain the life out of me. Uh, It's funny. I, I met with seven people back to back to back to back to back a few days ago. And um, I, at the end of that day, I was so juiced, man. I was like, man, this is great. This is, I love this. I love this. I love this. Uh, that last meeting, somebody opened up a, a computer and showed me a spreadsheet. And I thought I was going to melt through my chair. You know, it's just like, if you, like the spreadsheet's like my kryptonite. You know, it's right, just like, yeah. I, oh, if we're talking logistics on how to move people through our security check-in on Sunday morning. We did that this past week because we had a little backup on Sunday. Yeah. I thought that part of the meeting, I just wanted to run through the window. You know, I'm just, yeah. it's not my gift. And instead of, of me being the lid to those things, I'm just going to get out of the way and let people who are really good at those things do those things. And yeah. uh, I'm going to focus yeah. on the things that give me life and give me strength. Well, what, what you're talking about focusing on is certainly where you're excellent. And that is definitely a gift that I have watched over the years. And I'm so glad to hear you say that. Just get out of those areas where you're not strong and develop your strength because uh, you don't have a limit in the areas where you're strong, you're unlimited. And I just can't wait to see you continue to grow and spread your wings and fly, man. So it's exciting to watch that happen. Well, I know you've got other things going on today and you need to to get off this uh, time with me, but Anthony, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your heart, your passion, the wisdom that you've dropped here uh, for us. And um, I'm always going to be here to watch and uh, you cheer you on and, and watch great things happen for you. So thank you very much. Scott, thanks for having me. I love you, oh, Atlanta. I love Forest Park. You, you're just such a dear friend, and I'm very, very grateful for the time. Thanks for trusting me, and I can't wait to see what God does in you. I get a front row thanks, seat buddy. to watch it happen. Yeah, that's exciting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Holy Shift Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider letting us know. I read every comment, suggestion, or question. Also, if you like it, give us a positive review. Take care, and we'll be back soon.